0: inside books with breeda brown
1: welcome to inside books a program about the magical world of writing i'm breeda brown and in each episode of inside books we chat to people associated with the world of books including well-known authors publishers editors agents critics booksellers and more you'll find inside books on soundcloud or itunes and our twitter handle is at inside books where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news my guest today is Dublin author Kira Geraghty, who has written eight novels. Her work has been described as poignant, yet uplifting and funny. And she's regularly compared to the likes of Marion Keyes and Jojo Moyes. Her latest novel is called Make Yourself at Home and is on shelves now. Kira has also published a selection of short fiction and a novella as part of an adult literary series with New Island Books. Now, Kira, you've said in the past that you never planned to be a writer, but here we are, eight books in. What happened?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what they say about best laid plans. (laughs) I suppose the thing about me is that I never really had any plans. Like when I left school, all I really wanted was to have my own flat and to go traveling, you know, I never really wanted to be anything. And I just wanted to have a sort of an independent and interesting life. And so I did that. I went off and I traveled and I had my own lots of different lots. And then I came back and uh, I had uh, my first baby when I was 28 and then I was, I got a proper sort of job that would, you know, pay, pay the mortgage. So I was an insurance loss adjuster um, and, and I kind of just fell into that. And, and then I suppose what happened was I was 34. I had two small children. I was working full time. And I was standing on the the platform of my train station here in Donabate. um, And I'd suddenly dawned on me that I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up.
1: At 34.
0: Um, <laughs> and I was already grown up. So it was a bit of a conundrum, I'm going to call it. Um, and I, I it kind of settled on me, the realization, like a bit of a cloud, a sort of a dark cloud and sort of followed me around for a few weeks. And I was a bit down. It felt just a little bit like a midlife crisis, but I was kind of too young for that. And um, so, look, I decided, I think my main problem was as well that I was so busy. And, you know, when you're so busy, you don't really have time to think about what's going on in your own life and about yourself and your own self development. And um, so, I thought, you know, it'll be a good idea. I'll go and do an evening class and um, I'll take that time an hour a week out of my very busy schedule and it'll be all about me and it'll be something frivolous and something not to do with insurance or work or being a mother or being a wife, just something completely unrelated to my life. So I picked creative writing and honestly, even now, looking back, I, I still don't really know why I picked that. I could have picked Pottery for beginners. I could have picked <laughs> Italian, you know, and um, I, I was interested in maybe acting. And um, I, I think really what it was was somewhere inside me, you know, my creativity had been
1: stunted. And I was going to ask them. you that, like, had you been creative as a child or did you read much or did you ever harbour any any feelings for wanting to write?
0: yeah well I, my theory is that we are all very very creative beings like as if you look at any kid they're all about singing dancing uh, reciting poetry drawing pictures making up stories they make things with just about anything and so I do believe that we're all very creative as human beings and then along the line um, you are told no you're not actually very good at painting or writing or drawing or you know singing you're not going to be the best you're not going to be the olympian so you may as well you know stop and i think that's just so so wrong and so bad and i think it is lies at the root of many um, of you know mental health problems actually as well because i think creativity when it's stunted it's 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 not good uh for for your for your brain and your head and I think um it it just releases a huge amount of endorphins when you're creative and you look back and you look at something that you've made by yourself it's um incredibly fulfilling you know even if it isn't the best it's still um something to be really really proud of and something to take great enjoyment from and fulfillment from and so yeah I, I I wasn't particularly you know more creative than the other kids, but I was as creative as as other kids. Do you know what I mean? And um, and then I hadn't been creative for so long. And um, my boss in the insurance company used to tell me used to compliment me on my
1: report writing.
0: Really, <laughs> like, oh, your report reports are really quite entertaining. You tell quite a <laughs> <the> story. And <laughs> um, so what happened was. um As I said, I was a loss adjuster and I was sent off to Plunkett College um, on behalf of their insurance company. A man had fallen off the roof there. And so he was suing the college, rightly so. And uh, I was representing their insurance company. so. I had to go out and and, uh, had to have a look at where the accident happened and talk to the witnesses. And in the course of my investigation, I got chatting to the principal of the school and he was telling me he was kind of bragging on his uh, adult education program. And uh, he gave me a copy of the syllabus. So, um, That kind of felt a bit like fate, even though I don't really believe in that. But I was thinking about, oh, yeah, doing an evening course, that might be fun. And then suddenly I met this guy and he handed me the syllabus for their really extensive and fantastic adult education program. So I settled on creative writing. I started that. It was November. It was a Tuesday night. It was freezing cold, really wet. I was hungry and it was dark and miserable and I felt so nervous I'll never forget it I I just and I was by myself as well and I was going into this and it was a classroom like with plastic seats and it was kind of that real prefab you know (laughs) it was fairly comfortless Um, and all these strangers and I was like what am I doing here and who do I think I am as well there Mm. was a a little element of that you know and you know the notions I suppose that I that I you know thought I could do this but luckily I mean I, I always call that first class my light bulb moment because uh, we just had this amazing creative writing teacher Emma McSweeney and she was just um she's that very rare breed of she's a writer herself but she's also a really really fantastic teacher and uh, you very rarely get that combination you know People can do one or the other often in my experience, but she could do both. And I suppose she recognized something in me and uh, she was very gentle with me and very encouraging and very supportive. And she just made me believe that uh, I could do it. And I believed her. So I I started right, so that was the November, I did my 10 week course with her. And then in the January of the following year, I you know New Year's resolutions I'm going to write a novel I remember um the guy from the payroll in the insurance company coming around with the wage slip and giving it to me and he goes well what's your um what's your new year's resolution and I said I'm going to write a novel and I said it out loud and I think once you say it out loud you know you kind of you're not just telling him but you're sort of making a promise to yourself um and I said yeah I'm going to write a novel and and that's what I did and I just I just wrote it and it took me two years and I absolutely loved that process you know I look back on my life and um, and definitely that period of my life was one of the happiest times and I didn't tell anyone like my husband knew my sister knew but other than that really very few people nobody else knew really and I called it my secret life (laughs) because I was still working full time I was still you know mother to two small kids and so by day you know going around town in my suit and going and investigating accidents on behalf of insurance companies and being all you know busy and important and then coming home you know doing that family domestic stuff the dishwasher the dinner all that kind of really boring stuff. (laughs) And then get everyone to bed and then in the dark of the night, get my laptop out. And I even remember the sound of the tap, tap, tap of the keys, you know, that lovely, gentle sound. And it really felt like I was doing something that was really great, you know, and I loved it.
1: And that was Saving Grace, which was the the first novel. So as you said, it took two years to write it. But at what what point did you decide, okay, this is work that can be published? And how did you go about that publishing process? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah well my sister was definitely my cheerleader at the time and because by you know by then I wasn't in a creative writing class I was just writing it myself and she just said this is this is going to Get published, you know. This is great and well done. You know, like all great sisters, um, she's one of those ones. I, got, I'm very lucky. So um, she had a friend who worked for one of the publishing houses in Dublin, and uh, she sent it to her, and uh, they came back with, uh, yeah, we like this, and maybe put a bit more flesh on the bones, and and set, and you know send us more stuff when you're when you're more ready uh, which i did and um they made me an offer and then it's hilarious you know um As as a fledgling writer, you're supposed to be so enthusiastic and so grateful when you get that first offer from the publishing house. But this offer was so bad, you know, I'd basically be paying them to, you know, and, and it was for millions of books as well. So all I could see and I knew how hard it had been, even though the process had been really liberating and fulfilling and enjoyable, but it's still hard work. And I'm still writing in the small wee hours of the morning and working full time. And I was going to have to just continue doing that because the advance was just so paltry. So I was so disappointed. And then I I kind of was thinking, I shouldn't be disappointed. I should be absolutely delighted. You're supposed to be thrilled. And so... My husband was like would you not get yourself one of those agents I hear mm. you know writers have agents and I think that's a thing so I was like okay like I literally lived in a world where I knew no writers like you know social media wasn't a thing where you could just you know follow writers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever I literally had no one in my life who was either writing or a published writer or knew anyone who was a writer do you know so I felt very kind of on my own so anyway I went to my local bookshop, I bought a copy of the Writers and Artists Yearbook for that year. I looked, there was a chapter on agents and in the Irish section, there were four agents. Right. And I rang them all.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) So literally, um, one I think was uh, out for lunch. One was out sick. One asked me if I could send my entire manuscript Uh, in the post to him and I was like okay I was like oh my god that's going to cost me probably about 30 quid but okay I'll do it but then the fourth one who is Jared Nickel who is my agent and was just a normal person and said, email it to me. Right. <laughs> so I was like, OK, I emailed her the first three chapters. She read them, asked for more. I emailed her ten and she read them. And then I sent her the whole novel and she said she would love to represent me. And then she went and got me a deal with um, Hachette Ireland.
1: But there was a lot of difference, obviously, between the first. offer oh, yes. And the second one. Yes,
0: there was. I, I Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a much better deal. And, um, you know, it. It's great. Obviously, it was my second deal that allowed me to be, become a full time writer. The first deal did not allow me to become a full time writer, but it still was enough to make me feel like my work was valued, and I think
1: that's really, really, really important, especially when you're a creative. You know, um, you and would you advise valid. other writers to go down the agent route then, as a result of your experience? Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, writers are genuine. Generally not particularly good business people (laughs) so and you know you can't be all things to all people so so just acknowledge I mean some writers might be very good at representing themselves I was not ever going to be one of those people I'm not good at maths and and negotiations and all of that I prefer to just concentrate on the bit that I'm good at you know and uh, definitely I would recommend getting an agent.
1: And interestingly, and before we, we talk about sort of the books themselves, again, you you stayed with the same publisher for six books, but then you moved to another publisher after that. So what yeah. was the the logic behind that decision?
0: Well, I suppose at the end of the day, it's a it's a business decision, really. I mean, I absolutely loved being uh, with Hachette uh, and Kira Dorley was my editor and we had a wonderful relationship. Um, but I suppose after six books, I kind of felt um, I was writing Rules of the Road and um, Hachette made me an offer that was a lot less than I had been on. And it, it was it was to do with the market and, you know, just, I don't know, uh, the book trade, it's a very um, competitive business. And I thought, um, oh, God, it, it was going to be dodgy for me to accept it and to be able to still earn a living. So it was very much a commercial decision, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, I have to pay the mortgage and, and bills and all that kind of stuff, unfortunately. Don't
1: don't we all? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose just to go back to the books, then um, again, you know, love is very much at the heart of a, of a lot of the work that you do as such, but there's a huge amount of serious topics, here that you, you deal with across all eight novels. We've everything from alcoholism, single parenthood, grief, marriage breakdown, adoption, you've even euthanasia in there as well as dementia. And, you know, but you do a brilliant job of balancing that light and shade. And how do you do that or how do you focus on doing that?
0: Oh, that's so lovely to say. And thank you so much. And um, like, I, I, I don't do it deliberately, but I definitely think that that's how certainly Irish people deal with serious topics. You know, we there's a huge amount of humor in the Irish psyche, you know, and uh, like my dad died three years ago. And uh, I, I was just thinking about the other day I'm talking to my sister about it. You know, I never laughed as much as during those days when we were organising his funeral. And, like, I look back and think, my God, what were we like? But I think, really, that's... um, Well, we were remembering lots of of Mm. memories as well. And my dad was a very funny person. And he'd had dementia as well. So uh, his personality had been really uh, kind of just toned down by the dementia you know it had almost disappeared really so i suppose once he died it allowed us to kind of remember the person that he had been as opposed to you know the dementia adult man that he did become um and 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 we laughed and you know we actually enjoyed that process. And, and, you know, I remember us just falling around the place laughing. Um, and I definitely think that it is a coping mechanism mm-hmm. as well. You yeah. know, that humor, we use humor because, you know, life is can be so like dour and serious. And I mean, look where we are now in the middle of a pandemic. So you have to find the light. Otherwise it would be, it would just be untenable. You know, how would we cope? So I think I, I, very often, it's very natural for me to find the humor in um, and sometimes black humor, dark humor in a serious situation. And I think that really helps to balance what you're trying to, you know, the point that you're
1: trying to make. And do you think you're more character driven or plot driven?
0: Yeah, I'd say definitely character driven. And um, I'm actually not really very good at plots. <laughs> <laughs> Admit it here on Inside Books. Yeah, you heard it here, heard it here first. Um, I find them more difficult, whereas I, I suppose my, um, I, I really enjoy creating characters, you know, um, and I, I, yeah, and I also think and I hope um, that once you make a character, once you create a character who is credible and believable and relatable enough, you know, um, it doesn't really matter what the plot is because the reader will invest in your character and then will follow the character wherever he or she may take them. Do you plot? I do, Um. well, <laughs> like for my first book, for example, Saving Grace, I had my character Grace O'Brien um, from the get-go and I really knew who she was and she just loomed large in my mind and she was a joy to write but I didn't really know what her plot was going to be so I sort of pushed her around on the page, I'd say, for a good few months, you know, and put her into different scenarios and and wondered what... What what might happen to her? And I remember I went to um the listole Writers Week, um while I was writing Saving Grace, and uh, my writing teacher, who was really fantastic, Jared Donovan. He's an Irish short story writer, and he was taking our class, and uh, he um. He read some of Saving Grace and, and uh, he was talking about, you know, it's really important to find the tension in your work. So where is the tension? And that was our project for that particular day. Go away and find the tension in your in your work. And I realised that I didn't actually have any tension in my novel. And um, he was, I, I was kind of despairing and saying, well, this is a big problem. And he says, no, 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 this is brilliant. It's brilliant that you know that there's no tension because now you know what you have to do to fix it. Mm. So um, I on the train home to Dublin from Killarney and it's a long train journey, it's four hours, I came up with the plot that was going to give me the tension and saving grace. And I literally spent that entire train trip Uh, writing and I wrote longhand because I had my notebook with me. I didn't bring my laptop and I literally wrote for four hours with a pen in my notebook. And um, I'd say most of the stuff that I wrote that day, you know, I
1: transcribed it, but that that made it into the novel, you know. And has your approach to writing, has it changed over the course of, of like eight books? It's a huge amount and a huge body of work. Have you adapted how you do it as you've gone along?
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose I've become more disciplined about it, like, you know, for Saving Grace, nobody knew, so nobody cared. So I didn't have a deadline. And I could kind of decide, oh, well, you know, I'm not feeling inspired today. The muse hasn't arrived. (laughs) (laughs) And then for all of the other books, I have been contracted to write them and I have deadlines. So that really does focus the mind. And um, for my second novel, I was really, really worried. I was very nervous. I just thought, what if everyone just has one book in them? Mm you know, and just just ordinary people have one book in them, but writers have lots of other books in them. But I am I just happen to be one of those people who, you know, have one book and I won't be able to write a second book. And then I worried about I was on maternity leave at the time. So I worried about how was I going to find the time? How was I going to find the motivation um, to do it? You know, and um, but but I did, you know, because, as I said, when you've got You've, you've taken the advance as well. You've spent it more than likely. And um, so, and then you have your deadline. So that does focus the mind. And um, I am a very disciplined person as well. Um, so I decided, like the kids were still young enough and I had the baby and all. So I had her in the crash, the, two, the other two in school. So I would literally write from 9 a.m. till lunchtime. And that was my writing time. If I didn't get the work done, then I wasn't going to get it done for the rest of the day and I was going to have to stay up late at night to do it. So I would sit down and get the work done. You know, that was that was definitely uh, that
1: helped with the discipline of that. And how long does it take you now to write a book?
0: Oh, um, I would say like a fir- like you could write a first draft probably in in six to eight months, maybe. And. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Anne Lamott calls it a shitty first draft. I don't know if we're <laughs> allowed uh, to curse on your course, show, uh, but I just did anyway. So, um, so that's when you just, you know, vomit it all onto the pages, get it down and says, uh, you know, that's my version, I suppose, of pushing my character around, getting to know my characters. And um, so then you have your first draft, but then it, you know, could take you anything to, it, it depends how good your first draft is. And um, but it. I'm going to say I'm going to say probably 18 months from start to finish, you know, including like the copy edits and the line edits and the proofreading, everything, the picking of a cover. I'm going to say 18 months.
1: And what are you working on now?
0: I'm working on another novel. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm working on my oh, my God, it's my it's my ninth novel, yeah, um, and the working title is um, "Dance Me to the End of Love," oh. and it's a story. Uh, I, there's no way that will probably end up being the title because I can hear my editor already saying that no, that's just too long. Won't work. How Are we going to fit that on the cover? Um, I do like an hour-long title. But we'll see. Anyway, that's my working title for the moment, and it's it's about a menopausal, middle aged Dublin woman. Uh, she's a writer. Uh, really. She is- <laughs> <laughs> she's um she's blocked in her writing, and uh, she was really enjoying her empty nest when all of her her two grown up, like technically grown up sons have now moved back into the family home. Her elderly father has also moved back in temporarily. But yes, he has. And her husband is very busy um, working on his uh, cafe, which is in Cabra. And that whole area is being gentrified. So he is uh, working on sort of, you know, revamping his uh, his cafe. So there's a lot going on. And it's a very much a kitchen sink kind of a drama. Um, but that's what I'm working on at the moment. And
1: when will we see that?
0: well um, hopefully maybe next year sometime I'm not I'm not quite sure of the of mm. the publication dates and um, I'm hoping to have it done towards the end of this year then I hand it over to the publishing house and then it's up to them
1: let them do their magic and before yeah. we go then Kira, just again you know you've, you've such a great story in terms of how you started out what advice for anybody who's who's listening at the moment in terms of who are thinking about sitting down to write a book Yeah. Well, you know, what I love about um, sitting down to write a book is that you don't need anything other than you don't even
0: need a laptop, you know, because often when people are taking up hobbies or, you know, deciding to do things later in life and, you know, the entry there, there's, there's a, sort of barriers to entry in terms of cost and stuff. But to be a writer, literally all you need is paper and pencil Uh, the back of an envelope will do. If you don't even have a notebook, you know, it's just, it's very easy to do it. And I would say, um, just allow yourself to do it. Because I just think people think, oh, it's kind of like a vanity project. I'm never going to get published, you know, it's too hard. but don't worry about any of that. But just carve out the time for yourself, you know, and um, because you do need time to to write. And um, so, so you know, do do create that time and space for yourself because you're worth it, and it is like a, a form of self care, and you'll feel great. And um, so, yeah, so so. You know, do that.
1: And it's the perfect pandemic project, isn't it?
0: Very much so, yes. Sure, what else would you be doing?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, Kira Garrity, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Make Yourself at Home online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IORE. If you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading inside books is a unique media production